Hello and welcome to the DVD Bunker. I'm your host, Brian. If you're new to the show or tuning in for a first time or maybe just need a little refresher, you know, usually what we do with this show is I take a look back at all the DVDs in my massive collection. I try to find ones that I haven't seen as often or uh, maybe I don't remember as well. Uh, but sometimes I also use this show as a totally masturbatory exercise to just go in and watch a movie that I absolutely 100% love and want to talk about, whether it's well-known or not. And um, that's kind of what we're going to be doing a little bit today. Now, anybody who's been listening knows that I've been having guests on, special guests, co-hosts to help me out in Matt's uh, stead, and usually... I have been asking them to kind of submit some choices and, you know, maybe I would uh, watch some, we would pick something that I, from their list and blah, 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 blah. This one, I had the movie and I knew the man. <laughs> I needed somebody who was an expert. I needed somebody who was a, a lover of this film. And I went to the man who uh, inspired me to get this show going, who without, there would be no DVD bunker probably, at least not in this form. Mr. Jack Shipley, how was that for a long time? <laughs> Thank you, that was buddy? pretty awesome. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> I'm really excited. This movie is so great. I cannot wait to talk about it. I cannot wait. We're teasing it. We're teasing it. We haven't even we said haven't. the name. We haven't. Guys, we're doing The Crow, the 1994 fucking classic. Oh, we can curse on the show because there might be cursing later. <laughs> Ah, there might be a little. You can curse. You know, I don't know if any kids listen to it, so that absolves me of any kids guilt. Stay in so. school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While you're at it, stay in fucking school, kids. So, um. Oh, let's talk about this movie. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. Real quick, I wanted to just get, like, you're a couple years older than me. You. Where, like, when did you see this? Because I didn't get to see it in the theater, but I probably saw it pretty quickly. It was probably a new release on video. Yeah, it came out in 94. I saw it in the theater. Uh, I had graduated high school two years prior, and uh, so this I remember uh, me and my uh, I had two friends that were uh, that didn't know each other as well, but uh, they were both friends of mine. So I got to see this movie twice. They both wanted to see it. I saw it with them separately, um, but both of them wanted to see it for different reasons. One of them really wanted to see it because of Brandon Lee and because uh, you know they, the the uh, mystique behind what happened in the movie, but also because of their interest in Bruce Lee and 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 martial arts. My other friend was just like, "Oh man, this is a cool action movie. I saw. I really want to check out." So uh, I was really. Did you have did you have any familiarity with the comic at None. all? I knew it was a comic because no. the the martial arts friend uh, had been collecting comics for years and years, and I was only new to comics at that point. Um, and all my comics were not as good as the Crow, <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was very new to me. Uh, when I, I knew more about what happened behind the scenes of this movie when I went into it than I did the source material. Right. Well, I feel like, you know, we can get started talking about uh, Brandon a little bit, but I feel like this was one of the first times as a kid that I remember, like, knowing a big thing about a movie ahead of time. Yeah. Like, you know, there was this big behind the scenes, you know, obviously this way, way predates the 24-hour movie news cycle mm -hmm. that we live in now. Um but I don't even know how we found out. Times. I can remember processing it as a kid that it was just one of those things you heard about. It, so there was this terrible accident. And because he was Bruce Lee's son, mm -hmm. and Bruce Lee died under quote unquote mysterious circumstances too. So there was this thing that was all kind of blown up about yeah. that. Um, so yeah, this is one of the first times I can really remember. Um, and I didn't know a ton. I remember Brandon Lee had been in rapid fire, but he also before that did showdown in little Tokyo with, um, uh, Dolph Lundgren in 91 and he'd also been in the 1986 Kung Fu the movie yep. where they redid like when David Carradine came back and they did uh, the new I think it was the was that the lead off to it the was new the new adventures, adventures I then? think that they were trying to set up for that 
But Brandon Lee wasn't in no. the Avengers, but he's like the protege in the movie. See, it's so funny for me. Like, my only experience with Brandon Lee was The Crow. I didn't know who he was beforehand. I never heard of I, – I, I knew who Bruce Lee was, obviously. And I didn't even realize Bruce Lee had a kid <laughs> at that point in my life. So really for me, it was the whole – like I knew that uh, Bruce Lee had mysterious circumstances around his death. And then I heard, hey, like Bruce Lee had a kid and he was filming this movie and then he died on the, uh, during the filming. And that to me was the draw. I was like, oh, OK. Well, it's a comic book movie and it's an action movie and I'm down for those movies. So I want to see it. But, oh, I'm really interested to see – because of this backstory, this movie. Yeah, I had never seen Rapid Fire, and I don't think I still have, but I, at the time, for some reason, I knew Rapid Fire existed. Right. But that was, like, his first kind of, like, mainstream movie, and then The Crow was really his next one. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about, everybody remembers this movie because of Brandon Lee's death, but re-watching it, I really think this is a star-making performance. Oh, yeah. Like, had he survived, do you think... Do you think the movie would have attained the cult, kind of cult status it has now? But more importantly, do you think it would have propelled him? Like, would this have been a good story? I really tried to him? examine that when I was watching it. Uh, I watched it three times in the last, like, two weeks, you know, making notes and watching it again. And I was really trying to absorb, like, different things each time. Like, one, the first time was just to kind of reacquaint myself with the movie because I hadn't seen it in a little while. Um, and then the second time I wanted to take notes about things that kind of stood out when I was watching it. And then the third time was just like, you know, does this movie hold up? You know, what is it about this movie – and Brandon Lee's performance that kind of moves forward, would he, what kind of career would he had off of it? And I think that would we have seen it? I don't know that I definitely would have seen it had he not passed away. I, because that was my mo big motivating factor, but because it was an action movie, like I could see my friends going, dude, you gotta come with us to see this movie. Um, so I think I would have seen it regardless. And then, See, this is good. We're going to get into talking about this. The whole movie is crafted in such a way that you want to, you, you regret not being able to see his career because of how, how everything is crafted in this film. And I don't know that the movie might be as good because of he, if he didn't pass. I mean, I don't know, but. Right. Well, you have that thing where sometimes limitations kind of force you to make them. It ends up making the movie better. And maybe like, who knows if that kind of like how that would have played in. Well, yeah, we can like let that, but we'll let that it's kind of percolate. And I'm sure it'll come up. There was there. a plethora of uh, action stars, right? I mean, like you would have to yeah. break into a pretty tough crowd back in the 90s, too. But he had that pedigree like people would have wanted, they like, would have been interested to see. And I think if he did something even halfway decent, which I definitely think The Crow is and would have been recognized as even if he hadn't yeah. passed like i personally have always said i feel like this is the best comic book movie to come out of that post batman 89 kind of like first initial boom yep. that like you know when they attempted some things i feel like this one holds up the best this one what uh, you know is a strong it's um it's in my top list a fairly accurate adaptation you know what i mean as right. far as like being like faithful to the comic book. Not that I was particularly familiar, but just from what I've <laughs> read and what I've taken in from reactions and stuff. So, um, let's talk a little bit about just the rest of the cast. Yeah. Uh, the first two, I want to talk these two ladies kind of right away together. Rochelle Davis, who plays Sarah mm -hmm. and then, uh, Sophia Sheenus, I think is her name played Shelly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Sheenus. Sheenus. Shanas, I don't know. Sheenus? I've never seen her in anything sure. else. So, <laughs> 
No, neither of them worked very much after this. Um, the girl who played Sarah, she didn't really do literally almost nothing until like 2009, well, and then she's in a horror movie that starred Al Snow well, she, from the WWE. She was very, very <laughs> close to Brandon Lee because this was her first or second movie, and she became very close to Brandon Lee, so his death affected her. And I've read lots of articles about how she was just like, I'm out. Like, I, I – I'm not in a headspace and I'm a kid and the guy that was, you know, practically, you know, my best friend on set is now dead. And she, you know, yeah, it was really tough for her to to find a place for a career and I don't blame her. So she hasn't been in much at all, the two of them. Yeah, she's good in this. Great. Like, I think she's a good little child actress in this. Um, and then uh, Shelley, the only other thing really notable from around this period on her IMDb was that she was in Terminal Velocity. Was she? Also in 94 with Charlie Sheen. I guess she's in she's I God, I don't remember that movie at all. <laughs> good thing we're not doing that movie. <laughs> so in the uh, – and then in the role of the uh, kind of like – burdened cop uh we got the great ernie hudson so just killing it so here as Albrecht. i don't know if he's ever been uh, in also, anything else but he's great i'm just kidding he's been great in this <laughs> I movie i don't know if you've ever heard no. of this guy this ernie hudson you I mean, know just came out of the woodwork you know when 1980 winston uh, he had the same year one when we've already covered on the bunker uh airheads also came out this same year and then in 96 he's got a great one of my favorite late stage ernie hudson performances in the substitute yep where he's the principal oh, he's in that. Great in that movie so too. So I love Ernie Hudson. I think he's one of the greatest uh, actors. Uh, he's really good at playing characters and just jumping right in. He's a fantastic supporting actor. Uh, he always makes everybody around him seem smarter. Uh, and I'm a big Law and Order yeah. guy, and he uh, had like a recurring character on Law and Order. He was the uh, the commissioner's like boyfriend, and or not the commissioner, their chief, her boyfriend. And uh, always, I was just always excited to see him show up. But I like the way. You know, he brought the same effort to a Law and Order episode that he brought to this. You know what I mean? He's just like a, a really good classic guy who's always, you know, 100%. And it's funny because with Ernie Hudson, it, when I see him in uh, Ghostbusters, like he's not the main reason you go see Ghostbusters. You can, you know, there's the whole story behind that where, you know, they originally wanted a Murphy and they sort of, they promised him this role. And then right. they just said, you know, you're pretty much in it, but that's about the best you're going to hope for. So for me, every time I see Ernie Hudson, it's not all oh, the guy from Ghostbusters. It's the dude from The Crow. Like this is the movie yeah. that put Ernie on the map for me where I really noticed him and I wanted to see other things because of him. It was this movie. Yeah, he's great in this, and um, this movie also has maybe my all-time favorite movie scumbag in Michael <laughs> Wincott as Top he's Dollar. So I f- well, first of all, I just love Michael Wincott. Yeah, he's great. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince mm-hmm. of Thieves, Alien Resurrection. Yep. Do you remember that he's the bad guy in Metro, that Eddie Murphy movie? That no. Uh, Eddie Murphy, when, when he was getting his resurgence off The Nutty Professor, it's like they tried to <laughs> – make a Beverly Hills cop movie without making another Beverly Hills cop movie and they made Metro and he's the bad guy. I've got to be honest. You've named the three movies I know him from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's also in the three Musketeers, the one, the one with Kiefer and Oliver Platt. Yeah. Yeah. He's in that. And he's in, um, I think he's like, like one of the underling, like bad guys, like kind of the similar to the role he's playing in Prince of Thieves, I think. I don't remember it that well, but uh, he's also in Strange Days, which is one of he's my in Strange Days? underrated. Wait, I love Catherine Strange Bigelow. Days. Who's he in Strange Days? He's the Days? guy. He's like the musician guy that Julia Lewis is hooked up with. Oh, my God. Like, I haven't like, seen that in a long time, but I love that movie. Yeah. I have to watch that again now that he's yeah. in that. But anyway, 
always anytime he shows up in a movie yeah. one of my like favorite scumbags just like such a dirtball and just all so good at being shitty and he's amazing and he's this. so good i love top dollar it's a great character yeah and for the longest time i didn't know his name like i mean i probably didn't learn his name till like less than 10 years ago wow. and then it was I mean, the character Top Dollar. I'd known Michael Wincott, but I was like, oh, yeah. oh, that's a fucking cool name, Top Dollar. That's a great gangster. Well, they never name. say it, I don't believe, in the movie. So if you, unless you see it in no, the. No, I don't think they do. Yeah, yeah, unless you see it in the titles at the end. And I wasn't going to. We, we'll talk about some of the gang as we go, I'm sure. But I definitely wanted to shout out David Patrick Kelly as T Bird to. Um, amazing the warriors uh commando Ando. uh i didn't realize he's right around this time he's in malcolm x is he? he's a part in a small part in malcolm oh, x. Yeah. nice <laughs> I, Busy he guy. was uh he was yeah. great in commando matrix i thought you were gonna kill me last i lied what happened to sally <laughs> i let him go <laughs> oh, a great, movie. great yeah He's a great, he's a great character actor, and um, he's amazing in this. And so I wanted to, you know, we'll just start kind of talking through the plot a little yeah. bit. One thing I wanted to, and I remembered right as I started the movie, the whole thing, and this got me as a kid too. Devil's Night is that a real thing? Does that exist, uh, or is that made up for? It this was movie? called Mischief Night for me. Uh, they, they the day before was always called Mischief Night, so I never heard the term Devil's Night before. But this is the reason I call Mischief Night Devil's Night now. So the night before yeah. Halloween is Devil's Night. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either, and I always wonder if that is a thing, if there's, like, crime sprees. Or maybe it's a – I mean, this movie's what, set in Detroit, right? Yes. So maybe it's more of a Detroit thing. Um, egg houses and stuff like that or in toilet paper people's lawns uh, the day before Halloween. Yeah. And that's why they called it Mischief Night for us. They don't burn down the whole city. Yeah, that's city not like really a thing. You know, just a small thing I noticed we didn't oh, do. Whoops, I got some fires to stop, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, not something we did as kids. I like that – I was thinking as, we were, as I was watching this movie, I really like that they don't go out of their way to explain – the crow mythology. I mean, you start with the voiceover, but they leave it kind of loose. They leave it a little open. They don't like tie it to a specific religion or like an amulet right. or some kind of like really like, or some kind of thing that he was into, you know, they, they kind of leave it just, the crow brings him back, just, gives him powers. And if the crow dies, right. he dies. Yeah. And even that, they kind of slow roll you mm -hmm. on that part of it too. Like they don't even, uh, they, they, that's uh, they kind of like let that play out naturally. They don't force it down your throat, right? Oh yeah, away. but if you get everything you need by the end of the film. You're like, no, there's never a moment in the movie where you go, wait a minute, that wouldn't happen. Like, come on, like there's never right. that the, the disbelief never has to be suspended. Like you just buy into the narrative immediately, and that's one of the great things about this movie. It never intrudes on your sense of like realism. It's, you can burn right into it with no problems. Yeah. Um. Uh, just a real quick overview for people. The plot of the movie is uh, Eric Draven and his girlfriend Shelly are murdered. Uh, Halloween, it's actually Devil's Night. They're supposed to get married the next day. Um, they're murdered. One year later, Eric rises from the grave to seek revenge on the four men who killed them. And that's pretty much all you need to know for the plot. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, that's pretty much the And he can't be killed. Right. He's got, yeah, like like we said, he the crow brings him back to life. He's got, like, an attachment to the crow. He can kind of see through the crow's eyes. He is also unkillable. Um, real quick, I did want to, because I think this is a great revenge movie. One of uh, Definitely one of my favorites, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I also just rewatched the Kill Bill movies, which are great Also great revenge, movies. You know, a great revenge movie. Do you have any particular revenge movies outside of those that uh, strike a chord oh, for gosh, you? Oh, gosh, revenge movies. Um... 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, like I know Arnold's done some revenge films. Uh, there was Collateral Damage, uh, where his family is. Oh, that's a later. Yeah, that's like a yeah, later. Yeah, his family's killed, and then uh, uh, he goes after the terrorists to do it because no one will stop him, so he does it himself. Uh, and it's an Arnold movie. <laughs> that's the one that comes to mind. But I mean, Kill Bill is volume one and two are. are... Kill Bill's the one. I stole the one. Yeah, right? yeah that's that's a <laughs> really really well crafted, and that's two movies like that have to be seamlessly put together and he does he executes those movies so well uh oh yeah it's it's really good i found myself re-watching those and i was just much like with this movie just sitting there mouth hanging open just like find myself just totally drawn into it um a couple of underrated revenge movies real quick faster with the rock is a okay, good one it kind of it came out right around the time of Fast Five, and I think it just kind of kind of swept under the rug because that became the much bigger movie, and they had the similar sounding title and blah right. blah blah. It's a really good, and he really does some like emoting in it. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, and then Kevin Bacon in Death Sentence is a really good kind of. Um, it's based on the follow up novel to Death Wish, mm-hmm. but it's a much more like visceral look at what vengeance brings and how violence begets violence and how like there's no real winning in a situation like that and i think that's a good one to kind of it wipes the glamour away from a movie like like the like the death wish remake that just right came out, you know? who was in the or peppermint yeah, was oh, that the one with jennifer garner that yeah, came peppermint out, just like, came a out. Ago? uh you know in a way john wick is a good revenge movie because they kill his dog and absolutely and john wick counts off you know john, i love john wick i cannot wait for john wick three Gonna be so. I yeah, just dated the podcast. I'm sorry. Excited about that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. I like the look of this movie a lot. The the way we didn't talk about the director Alex Proyas, who also directed the amazing Dark City. Mm, I love that. But movie. also recently directed Gods of Egypt. So you know, peaks <laughs> you and valleys. You know, you know, you got your wings and you got your loves. Sometimes it falls. <laughs> but I love like you talked about the really ultra realism, but also like everything is basically grays and blacks in the real world. There's almost no color. This might as well be in the interviews, the behind the scene interviews, uh, Brandon Lee was talking about how much he wished this was a black and white movie because the comic is a black and white comic. And I think Alex Proyas comes very close, except in the flashback scenes where he floods you with, which is intentional. Everything's really right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, To like differentiate the feel and everything. But I really, it's just an amazing looking movie. Um, Oh yeah. And, visually i think it's really he uses um he also uses uh rain and stuff like that to kind of mute out the colors because all the water as it's falling and stuff like that kind of washes out uh in the nighttime scenes uh and for, uh, they used i think the example of them at the church at the end and and her shelly um uh sarah hanging off of the the church and you can see how muted the tones are and it really does look black and white at times it can be difficult to even see what's happening because it's so dark and um, like the nightclub scene is is rather dark, and so that's my. If there's a negative to this film, it it visually is both stunning and well crafted, but at the same time, sometimes removes you from the action because it's a little dark. But yeah, that's fair. I would say that's fair. But I love it. I mean, yeah, it's. I love the gothic tones of it. Like I'm like, where in Detroit is that really cool church? Because that church is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so the movie starts, at, you know, at the cr- literal crime scene, but then we jump pretty quick, flash forward, um, you see, uh, Sarah go to the graves. I like to, she only leaves the one flower for Eric. Come on. That's a little, you know, rough, yeah, right? like, you didn't have one for Shelly too. I think, uh, he's got the, th- he's got the big bundle for Shelly that she stole from everybody else's, but then she's only got one flower for Eric, but Hey, you know, I actually fine. thought that that was symbolic. <laughs> 
of because I heard a lot of the beginning of the movie is actually what was missing. They didn't film a lot of the beginning. That makes so sense. I always wondered if that was sort of a a a moment for Brandon and not necessarily. Yeah, well, and to be fair, she does give him the white rose. It's a much night like, she, you know, it's Shelly gets like the a bundle of carnations, right. you know, so it, it is a very classy yeah. flower. I'll give her uh, that. I'll give her that. But yeah. Um, I I love this scene, like his his birth scene, his rebirth scene, where he comes up out of the. I love the little detail of the split back jacket, like a real corpse right. would wear, like when you're really buried. <laughs> it's a, that's something you almost never see in movies that they never get right. But like he legit has like a split back jacket, and you on know that's what stuff. he's buried in. Like after the movie's yeah. over, that there's nothing weird about that at all. Like that's totally that dude's jacket. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Eric, that's what Eric wears. And when he comes out, he comes um, out to the Cure, which is a, a moment yeah. to just to just mention how great the soundtrack is, because no, let, let's delve into the soundtrack a little bit because it's been in my head ever since I watched the <laughs> ever since I watched yeah, the and I, I showed this to you earlier, and of course at home you can't see because it's uh it's audio, but I do actually own my original Brandon Lee's The Crow soundtrack from 1994 or five, whenever this the soundtrack released. And uh, it, it, the order is almost exactly the same as the movie. And The Cure is the first song. Burn was the name of the song. And uh, uh, when he's painting his face later on, they play it again. And it's just – it goes so well with the score. Uh, the score – most of the music seamlessly integrates with the film. And this is a, 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 the first move, uh, moment of the movie where they just kind of punch you in the face with how great the music is, I thought. Oh yeah. Well, like this is at this stage in my life, I probably didn't quite have my own musical taste yet. You know, I was still basically just listening to what my parents listened to. <laughs> so this is definitely like when I get this soundtrack, this is definitely like my first Pantera, my first Nine Inch Nails, my first Rage Against the Machine, my first Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, it's it's a murderous right. row of like of like early '90s alternative metal and shit. It's really strong. and, and, and it, it's real it could strong. introduce you to my life with the Thrill Kill Thrill Kill Cult. Say that ten times real fast. Which is the only song I've ever heard from them is the one from this movie. But I love that song. But yeah. it's the only song I've ever heard from them. And what's the band? Which one is the band that actually plays in the movie that has the song where they're on stage? That's, that's them. The 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 nightclub is that scene. Them? Yeah. Okay, I couldn't. Re- okay. So I I love that song because of how hard hitting and like techno-y because I was totally in a tech now phase at this point. I'm in college now. Uh, I discovered Nine Inch yeah. Nails like a year or two previous. Uh, I had heard Pretty Hate Machine, and I was super into Nine Inch Nails. So that techn- technological sound, industrial, I was really getting into it. And then uh, My Life is a Thrill Kill Cult song is just so great. And they're singing it on stage. They're actually in the movie. Uh, that's the actual band. Yeah. So it's it's really cool Like that I'm like, wow, this must be a really great moment for this band Like you know, to showcase their music and the film everyone is going to see at this point because of what happened so i love i love that song uh, and i was telling you that uh not only we talked about the soundtrack but the, yeah, score, the score was really amazing too um score was by graham Ravel. he was from an 80s industrial electronic band spk um but he's done i mean he went on to do the saint Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, uh, Daredevil, Bride of Chucky, Freddy vs. Jason, Sin City, basically anything in the last 20 years that had that kind of medley techno right. score, he probably did some nice. of it. <laughs> like, he, he has a really... He's like an early uh, Atticus Ross and, and Trent Reznor because they do a lot of those types of movies yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, I remember that the, the score had the little cut of... Um, 
Brandon Lee's song, the the one from It, it Can't Rain, Rain All the Time. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, and it had that little bit, a little like part from that, and I always remember that. Uh, well, you, you know, it's nice, great song to hook up with ladies <laughs> too. You know. Uh, well, you know, it's really great about that too. <laughs> like the music, the music had to do a big job in this film because some of the vocal scenes weren't filmed any, couldn't be filmed with Brandon Lee. Uh, they they used the um, stunt doubles likeness and they use cg to kind of put him in scenes but the all the voice work you hear is actually brandon lee so since they didn't have a lot of the early stuff uh the score had to drive that narrative and it did a i mean a, a fabulous job because then you hear the score yeah. throughout the movie uh, especially at the end uh sequence too like that that the, the beginning and the end are like punctuated by this really strong like emotional score so he did an amazing job really of of kind of uh, taking you on the journey through music uh, to supplement not having Brandon Lee's voice, which I thought. Was really yeah. I think, again, we talked about that, how like sometimes limitations can force you to do things that actually end up making the movie better. For sure. I think this might be one of those. For things. sure. Um, so after Brandon or uh, Eric, sorry, comes out of his grave, he goes back to his apartment where his cat has just been living for a year, just <laughs> yep. chilling, you know? So, you know, that, that, whole building is free of Gabriel? mice because that cat looked well fed. Gabriel's name of the cat? Was it Gabriel? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You have Gabriel and then you have Gideon later, Gideon's pawn. Yeah, Gideon. Um, that's what it's throwing me off. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, but then you get the great transformation scene, which I think is, uh, again, the, the use of the music in that scene is incredible, but I want to specifically call out that shot of him walking towards the window with the big circular window that's all broken out and the crow flies up as he's walking towards it. That backlit shot is so fucking cool. Like I was like, like, I'm like, I'm still as a grown adult. I'm like, if you look at that apartment, (laughs) that apartment is really crazy in many ways. Like it's, it's a visually striking building, but to live in that apartment, right. You have these giant circular windows that at any moment you could fall through to your death. Like that's all I kept thinking. These are floor to like practically ceiling windows. Yeah. And then like at any moment, my klutzy ass. They were like, you know, they never say what Shelly does, but you get the impression she was probably like some kind of artist and he's a musician. They're very bohemian. You know, they're living that, that loft lifestyle. The top. Uh, So it's, it's like almost like the attic floor was cleared out for these people to live in. And it's just the top of the yeah. building. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I would fall to my death in a minute <laughs> if I lived in that place. So now we, we talked a little off mic before we got started about how this movie moves. It clips. And uh, one of the ways it does that is it makes really great use of scenes to like tell you about characters. Like, you know, Think of something terrible like Suicide Squad where they stop the movie and throw up stats at you. <laughs> right. And then you take a movie like this where we have our opening scene with our – like our, not our opening scene but our introductory scene with basically our four killers, right. our victims, our, our targets for, Brand, for, for Eric Draven. They're all drinking together. You immediately establish the gang hierarchy mm-hmm. based on, you know, who like – the way they interact with each other. You can tell that Skank is the loser. You can tell that T-Bird is the... You know, they all are crazy. They all could are friends, but could also kill each other at any moment. You are, So you know it's like, you know, it's a very tense situation all the time. Um, and I just like how much you learn about them as characters and their dynamic from just that drinking scene. Also, I still find myself saying, fire it up. Fire it up. <laughs> fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Um, there's a great thing about um, Tintin in this movie, and that is – so we're almost 20 minutes in already, right? 
and they're going to get to the first the first revenge within 20 minutes. Right. First up is Tintin. But here's the thing about Tintin that's really cool. He has enough scenes in that in the 20 minutes that he's in the movie essentially where you learn a lot about him. He's a henchman type. He uses knives. They're like his weapon of choice. He he pulls out the knives several times before you ever see the fight with him. So you know, like um, a lot of the flashback sequences, he's got the knives out. He throws a knife at uh, at Eric at one point, I think. Uh, so you know everything you need to know about the dude in 20 minutes because they're gonna kill him in the in like 21. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that yeah. I mean, that's what you get when you don't have to do all the exposition that you normally would have done had Brandon Lee been alive to film those scenes. And in this movie it just works for it like it just gets right into it you don't have to wait you know they don't have a, a movie normally these days it would be 45 minutes before we get to that first kill you know oh yeah absolutely there'd be so much backstory and setup about brandon lee and all, all the stuff they would just force so much of it on you before you ever got into that and yeah i love how frugal they are with the uh, with the time they have and with the footage they have even they even, like, use a Tintin scene to set up Gideon's pawn shop so that later when you come back, you're already in the know of what's going right. on with that. You don't have to, you know, it builds his character enough, and then it's as he's coming out of Gideon's that you get into that first big fight sequence, which, God bless them for resisting the urge to do too much martial arts right. in this movie. You could have easily seen, especially, like, okay, if this is a movie made now, there would have been a thing about, like, how he was a rot, how he was in a band, but he also studied more. Just <laughs> right. so you could like brush that right. off, and then he could do whatever in the scenes with his crazy powers. But like in the fight with Tintin, he's just like slapping him and throwing yep. him, and just you know, his like, first move is to charge him and knock him down. And yeah, he spears, yeah, spears him. Basically. Yeah, he just he like, takes yeah. him right into the mud, and it's like <laughs> the dirty. Just get close to a guy with knives. That's all he did. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, it's the, I love the fight. The fight feels realistic because of that. It didn't it, there was never a moment where you're just like, oh, my God, like, why is he a ninja all of a sudden? The dude. Yeah. Like you said. Right. And yeah, I love that fight. It's simple, clean, like gets to the point. You know, the, it, it kind of goes back and forth. He's trying to figure out what he can do. Blocking the knives with his speed, catching the one. Well, he like falls off the he falls off the buildings. So we're already getting a taste of he like. The, his invulnerability we use the, he uses the crow vision which you know so he can kind of see through the crow's eyes so you know he doesn't have to be there he can track people he can whatever so that's they get that and even they get into it a little bit more later because there's a like a kind of empath empathetic uh part of his powers and abilities and they touch on it only for a minute where Tintin's able to use his kind of anger to throw him off. Right. You know, him getting in his face and reminding him of how horrible it was is like enough to break Eric's concentration long enough for him to get a couple hits in and think he's going to get the upper hand and stuff. So all that is established in this first fight. Oh, and, and then, you know, and then you he can so touch much people. about the crow. Sorry, uh, uh, that he can right. touch people and like see what they see their experiences as well. So that also right. sort of like he's storing all this information in his it's part of his power that he can keep it sort of like um reminds me of a uh, ghost rider you know it like it's almost like the penitent stare which i guess we'll get to how that yeah. plays out later on but excuse me it's important uh, it's an important skill that will play into the uh, movie many times yeah yeah and that that whole we were talking about again off mic before we got on here but that whole sequence really reminded me of how 
well I know this movie like every line of his interaction with Tintin is is just like burned into my brain it's very quotable this movie there's lots of really really great lines that you'll just remember Uh, and we'll talk about a couple more as as we get into this Uh, but the victims aren't we all is one that stuck with me which is the the final thing he says before killing him and uh, yeah. one of the things that uh, Brandon talked about in the extras, uh, which I recommend anybody just check out because it's really fascinating. He mentioned – Yeah, you can find those interviews on YouTube yeah. and they're really yeah, they're heartbreaking though. I mean because of the subject matter of the movie, he finds him – you find him waxing philosophical about well, like death. Well, it could be dead at stuff. any so time like, and I'm like, well, Brandon. Right. It's crazy. It's kind of like <laughs> – and he's talking about he, – like, he's talking about how he's got a fiance and they're going to get married after the movie. I'm like, please stop. You have <laughs> right, to stop. Right, right. It's like, God, this is so tragic. Like how far in this movie are you I can't right do now? This. Um, uh, but I lost my train of thought. I was going to say uh, the victims aren't we all. Oh, uh, he, he mentions how his character is a little crazy. And when you and, and he but he's also free from he's free from any moral like responsibility in the actions that he's taking because of the justice that like mission that he's on. Like they've justified uh, it. Where, whereas in John Wick, Maybe he's overreacting just a little bit. <laughs> it, I mean, I, I'm I love dogs. Yes, his dog was murdered, but you're killing like 40, 50 people, dude. And it was just like three guys. Right. <laughs> just headshot. You know. Just headshot. But people. in this movie, like he was. Well, and I like they 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 go out of their way a couple different times that to show you that. Eric doesn't have any interest in anybody but the people right. who committed the actual crime. He he will kill people who get in his he way. He doesn't even kill Gideon. But he's not like purposefully after right. them. Yeah. Right. And Gideon's a terrible guy. You can tell right away. But he's he doesn't go out of his way to kill him. He's not on the list, so to speak. So uh, I really liked I really liked how the character it is a little nuts because he did just come back from the dead. But how he's also like that would fuck you up. Yeah. Right. Sure. I, I think I'd be a little messed up with that. Um, but it also shows, you know, just how like uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes and in any means necessary. He's painting his dude the wall. He took the dude's blood and painted the wall with a crow. I mean, you yeah. know, the time it took to do that. <laughs> he's, he's being very yes, for sure. For sure. Um, so we already we, we started to talk a little bit about it. That scene with the band, the live band, that's your obligatory rave slash club scene from every 90s movie. You know, Blades got yep. it. You know, Go, whatever. You know, there's tons of them. Um, oh, that's the second band. There's actually two bands. Uh, oh, that's right. Because yeah. I was actually – my life with the Thrill Kill Cult is actually the second band from the – That's the one yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. with the with – the, Yeah, the, but the Don't Have to like. Take You Away girl who's singing that song during it. Now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she's also the real artist, but I don't believe her song is on the CD. No, I don't think it is either. Um, But that's our our intro to Top Dollar. And again, talk about how thrifty they are with their time. You get so much information about Top Dollar immediately. Uh, You know he's like murderous. He's incestuous. He's very sexual. You know, it establishes a lot about the way. And also, we establish uh, Mika. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever say her name, but I looked it up on IMDb. Yeah. His sister, um, uh, who also collects eyes, which I love the through uh, of the eyes in this, and that pays off very well in the end. You know what's actually <laughs> great about her character in this? She's establishing for you that there's nothing unusual about the guy coming back from the dead. She's got some sort of a cult uh, connection in some way. Uh, you can tell that like nothing that's happening is, is beyond. She's the one that later in the movie pegs the whole thing about the connection right. to the crow. She's the one who like, like, and I, know. and I love that this movie never takes, never takes you out of the, 
the whole mystique of what's happening by going, well, this shouldn't be possible. Like, they're just like, oh, isn't he supposed to be dead? But no one goes like, why is there a dead guy like still alive? They never ask that question. Right. It's fantastic. And that's great because that's that's what breaks you out of the you know, out of the moment. It, it forces your disbelief. And uh, I hate that about it. A, a lot of movies. But this one is just like, nope, everything here is normal. We're all going to act like it's normal, you know pre uh, bitching on the internet days <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding and usually i would wait till later in the show till character corner to call out people like this but he's in the movie quite oh, a bit you gotta call out tony todd Candyman. as the henchman uh is candy man he's so good and also uh anybody who's a fan of horror films and hasn't seen the hatchet movies should go check those out he's great in those he makes too. appearances in a lot of good tv uh, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but I like I've seen him in TV. Final Destination. Yeah, Final Destination. Also. Like um Candyman is is my scariest movie ever. Uh it's it Super underrated. Uh, the second one's really good too, actually. Uh after the first one I, I decided not to see the second one, but I do love Candyman. <laughs> like I love everything about it. He is so good in that movie. So for me that was one of the that's one of the guys where I was just like, Wait, is that Candyman? <laughs> and I with the whole movie I was so excited. I was like, Candyman's in this movie. But he's not in it that much. But he's he's really good. I love Tony Todd. He's fantastic. And Bai Ling is is Mika. Oh, it is Bai Ling, mm-hmm. okay. Um so, oh, and we also in this scene establish Darla, Sarah's junkie mom, who is involved with Funboy, who's the other one of another one of uh, T Bird's crew, who's on. So he's on the. I've list. only seen Darla in one other film that sticks out when I I know she has a body of work, but she was in Unforgiven, uh, with which oh, is a Clint okay. Eastwood movie. She's <gasps> one of the uh, she's one of the the whores who pay for them to to murder uh, to kill the guys that cut her up. She's the one that got cut up. Uh, in that movie, and I, uh, and because again, I haven't seen Unforgiven. Speaking of revenge movies, I've oh, seen Unforgiven is actually really good. It's not like exactly revenge in that respect. Like, no, I guess not. They, they want they're just doing a job really, and they're more outlaws yeah. than anything. But I just couldn't remember if there was like some revealed connection between Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman or something. No, no, no. Uh, I could be just confusing it with any number of other westerns. Oh, though. for sure. No, he just knew like who William Money was, but he didn't. He never actually met him. Um, but the thing about that movie that's so great, and this is the same thing with Tony Todd, because of The Crow, when I saw Unforgiven, I was like, it's Darla from The Crow. Like, immediately, I knew who she was because of this movie. I never would have known who she was before, without it. So, I mean, again, this movie did a lot for people, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> but it definitely did something for definitely her. definitely one that, like I said, I, I've rewatched. This hit me. This would have been the same year, and I definitely saw them on the around the same time. New releases on video the same year I saw Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can nail down the year of 1994 to a very seminal uh, movie year okay, in yeah. my life. This is <laughs> The Clerks also, although I didn't see that till later, but it did come out. And 95 as well. Were, were th- these two years were really big in film uh, and a lot of influential movies and uh, influential performances took place. But as you were, sir. No, um, the next up is Eric goes to Gideon's Pawn Shop. Like you said, that's established. Um, I love the the whole thing of putting the rings in the shotgun and then blowing up the pawn shop. Um, Some stuntman was standing very close to that explosion. (laughs) Right? I mean, it overtakes him completely. You could see he's right Right. there. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. There's no, they didn't have the technology to fake that. You would have been able to tell if that was an effect. Like back then. Well, in a movie that is a little careless on the, uh, (laughs) on the stuntman side. On this, maybe a little questionable. Fair enough. Um, But Gideon has a great line. Uh, One, 
one of the things I really liked about his performance, um, and I wrote Gideon's name down. Where did I write it? Okay, John. Oh, that's Polito. John Polito. Yeah, uh, he was in Highlander. He's a uh, Coen Brothers guy. He's a Coen, Bro- Coen Brothers guy. He's in Miller's Crossing, <laughs> Big Lebowski, Man Who Wasn't There. He's in a lot of Coen I know he is. <laughs> the Coens. Damn you, Coens. Um, we'll explain that one later some other time. Anyway, um, but he has a really cool line that, um, you know, when people get into moments that make them say shit or, or oh, no, you know, something like that. Uh, when something bad's about to happen, you know, there's that expletive, people's go-to expletives. His is shit on me. And he says, shit on me. <laughs> shit on me. Oh, and he's like, he, he sells it. Like, this is the thing I say when a bad thing happens. Like, but I'm like, shit on me? Like, is that really the thing you want people to do? Because that's really not a, you know, that's not a pleasant thought. I'm thinking about shitting right, on you. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe just go with shit. He is great. And I do. And like you said, I like the way that Eric, like, lets him live and sends yeah. him off as a message to, you know, let him know. I'm. It's that whole Wyatt Earp, hell's coming with me kind of like. But it also <laughs> tells you that he thinks of himself as invis- invincible at that moment. Because like well, I that's can tell the first you, time we ever see that's the first time they really nail it home. It's Gideon shoots him, and we first see the bu- the bullet hole closing up effect. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like I said, they had kind of hinted at it with Tintin, but we hadn't seen him like directly take some damage like that. So this is the first time we've full on established he cannot be killed right. by conventional. And means. so he tells him his name. He says, "Tell him Eric Draven sends his regards." Well, I like, too, it's like he never calls himself the crow. That would oh, be yeah. dumb. Like, no one does. I kind of like that that's a thing we've gotten away from in movies. You don't hear, like, a lot of superheroes self-referring as, like, their name from the comics because people don't fucking talk like that. Oh, oh, oh we're you using know? our superhero like, names. Hi, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, that part. That's that's why that joke is so right. good. That's For oh, sure. Oh, well written. For sure. Uh, we also get – this is where Albrecht first encounters Eric again. <laughs> and you're talking about a quotable line, the – Moving, you're dead. And I say I'm dead, <laughs> and I move. And he does that little like shimmy, little shimmy. So funny. I, I, there's a, a Joker esque quality to the character. Um, yeah, I was thinking that, and Deadpool mm-hmm. also because of the kind of like unkillableness of him. It makes him cocky in that same way that Deadpool is. Do you wonder if because he died, the movie had to take a darker tone, and that had he not died, the movie might have been funnier all throughout? Because there's a lot of humor in this movie, uh, like a surprisingly uh, yeah, enough. Some good moments. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say. Like, I, I wish I knew if I had known the comic a little bit better. Right. You know. Right. But which I don't either, unfortunately. Don't always well, no, and I also don't think it's important because we're talking about the movie. I feel like if you had to know the comic, the mm. movie isn't yeah, good. Sure. You know what I mean? It's one of those things you should be able to enjoy it outside of your knowledge. Of, yeah, that's yeah. why, like when people get in, when it gets into the Star Wars thing, and people are like, "Oh, but in the Clone Wars, it's like I shouldn't have to watch homework to enjoy this I thing." Know. Like that's the you know I should be able to enjoy it on its own. And then if I want to get into that other stuff, it's there supplementary for right. me to have. Right. Right. Um, right. But I, but I like that first scene, you know, where we get Eric and, and I like that Eric steals a guitar from Gideon's too. <laughs> I was like, you know, he's still got some, there's still some Eric Draven right. left in there. And it's, it's a, <laughs> it's a kind of a reminder that like this person had a life before, uh, they were yeah. this killing machine, you know, and that he still remembers who he is, uh, which, you know, a little touch of humanity for him, you know, like, oh, I'm not just some killing machine bent on revenge. I was this person. I remember that I was this person. And I, I like that about that movie. 
Absolutely. Uh, we get another little top dollar scene. Are they smoking eyes? Is that what happened? Yeah, well, I assumed it was some there? sort of like ritual like that she was using for divination. Like a cleansing? Well, no, I thought it was divination. Uh, eyes are typically used in divination oh, okay. spells. That's why she, uh, if I don't remember exactly what she says, but she's being prophetic there. She puts it in the thing and then says, you know. Oh, she does. She tells top dollar that forces are yeah, aligned yeah, against go. you. Yeah. And, 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 and so – I think that was the type of magic she was doing and, and, and is establishing for you that she's someone – and you know her narrative the whole way through is established. She's someone who could steal his power and, and could you know ter- pervert it or turn it in some way. But again, I like we've talked about too this, the way this movie is subtle and how it tells its story and how it sets up its world. Yeah. Like it doesn't go out of its way to be like magic exists. Hey, everybody, magic right. exists in this world. But it's like it things are just happening. You People know? accept and, uh, all of the things that go around that are happening around them without complaint. It's as simple as that. Like anything that goes on, they are saying this is part of our world. We buy into it and you should too. I love uh, when – Top dollar says a moment of silence for old Tinder. He snorts that giant rail. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So good. Such a great like shitbag moment. Yeah, totally. I love it. Totally. Oh, there's so many good uh, lines. Eric. So Eric saves Sarah when she's about to get hit by the car, but then he like he hides his face from her, but then he drops the lyric on her. It's like, why are you being so coy, man? Just tell her you're back. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, and Brandon Lee had a good comment about that in the, in the extras too, the behind the scenes, he says, you know, like, well, if you came back to life and you only had a limited amount of time, like, would you tell anybody? Or, you know, these people have had a year to grieve and they've all lived a year and you have just come back. Would you want to like have them re-experience that? Right. Like I said, he's he's a really those interviews are excellent complimentary pieces to this movie. For and fans. what's great about that too is it's not something I ever considered before hearing him say those words. Like, yeah, I guess he's right. Like, do you really the want idea, to? He brought a lot to this. Yeah, movie. for sure. Like, he brought a lot of love for the source material, a lot of uh, like care to the character. Like, he he was it was very important to him to portray this character right. well, and you can tell that in those interviews. I think that's important. Like I said, cause I think it stands out. I do think that he's very good in this and not every line reading is perfect. He wasn't a, the, you know, he wasn't the best actor he was ever going right. to be, but I definitely think this could have been a star making performance for him that propelled him to bigger. And he was as things. good as early Keanu. If you could buy Johnny Utah, you can take Eric Draven. <laughs> there's, there's no acting in this movie, in this whole movie by anyone that's as bad as I am an FBI agent. You gotta go down, booty. People trusted you and they died. <laughs> you know? And I love so Point Break. I. Nothing is Point Break. <laughs> but holy crap, are there some line readings? Yeah, there are. Boy. Utah, give me two. Alright. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we, so we, we get a little bit of backstory. Albrecht's going back through and trying to figure out what's going on. We find out that uh, Shelly and Eric were basically murdered because they were fighting tenant eviction from that right. building. What is Top Dollar's plan? What was he trying to get them out for? Like, right. He doesn't seem like the gentrifying type. He's not going to like make it into a fucking Starbucks. Like He burns buildings down. What does so, he care who's living them? Just burn it down. Thing. I think that <laughs> his point with – he orders that because they said no. Right. It wasn't about why. But he, what was he going to do with the building anyway? Necess- why was he asking them? Here's to the leave? thing. I don't necessarily know he had a plan for that building. I think they were getting evicted 
and the person who was evicting them went to Top Dollar and is like, I have these tenants who are props. So Top Dollar's like the Clarence Yeah, exactly. And here. he's like, okay, I'll take care of this. And he ordered, he ordered, he wasn't ordering them evicted. He was ordering them murdered as an example to everyone else. And we don't necessarily know that it wasn't because it was a favor for the landlord. You know what I mean? So I don't know that he was developing. I mean, that property's still sitting there. They didn't develop it or do anything. Right. It's, they didn't do anything right. with it. Why were, what was the the eviction? Why was it right. so, you know, what was it? What, why did they have to go? They didn't do right. anything. I was I was sitting there thinking I was like what the hell did Top Dollar care about clearing that building for? Right. And I think it's just a it's one of those things you know Godfather you know I got this guy who's doing this thing to my daughter well I might come to you someday and ask you for a favor you know that yeah. kind of thing. So we we get to our next uh, our next victim our next target Fun Boy. Oh yeah, first. Um, Fun Boy got himself uh, dead. <laughs> dead. I love. I'll tell you what. There's there's two th- jokes in the 90s action movies that stuck with me. There's this joke, the Jesus joke about the three nails, oh, yeah. and then there's the joke that Quentin Tarantino tells in Desperado about the guy piss- trying to piss into oh, the glass. Yeah. Both of those jokes like were ones that I don't remember, you know, a lot of jokes, but those ones <laughs> right, really right. stuck with me and it may have to do with how often I watch those movies, but you know what Man, it is too? It's the it, that Jesus timing. joke is a the funny Jesus one. Joke is great. The the piss the piss joke uh, that um, Quentin himself tells, right? We're talking about that one, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. The the yeah. best is the delivery too. It's perfectly mm. timed. The whole scene is he really beautiful. he really puts oh, a lot God, into it. Yeah, so good that line. That, that whole thing is so great. But yeah, the the nails joke. <laughs> it's what's great about it too is just when it's coming in the movie. He's literally being shot by Fun Boy and he's telling the joke. Yeah. Stop me if you heard this one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like literally getting shot. I love that. Um, and we should really – this is a perfect opportunity. Let's talk about Michael Massey. Um, mm-hmm. So Michael Massey, if you didn't know, is the actor who fatally Jason shot Boy. Brandon Lee. He fired the – yeah, he fired the um, – And if you uh, – again, so if you if you don't know the history of this, uh, people listening along. So ba- apparently what happened was in a previous scene, they were firing a gun and they were using uh, special uh, blanks. Uh, that you put in a revolver that makes it look like bullets are still in there. And you could buy these, but for whatever reason, the stunt team decided not to buy them. They made their own. So when they made their own from real bullets, they didn't pull like the primer out. So when they were firing these bullets during a, a previous scene, a little bit of the actual bullet went into the barrel and got stuck. And then... So then when the next one yeah. fired... When the next one fired, which was Michael Massey pointing the gun to kill Eric Draven, which was the character. So... Brandon Lee's the, – the, the bullet that kills Brandon Lee is the bullet that kills Eric Draven, which is like right. so like messed up in your head, like the irony of all of this. Yeah. But um, because the, 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 the stunt coordinator went home early and so the guy who was, uh, was an assistant, he didn't know to clear the gun and make sure that the barrel was empty. And so when Michael fired the weapon, uh, he regrettably you – know, the bullet actually ejected from the barrel and that's what killed Brandon Lee. Yeah, and Massey took it pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, very hard. From all accounts, he had a rough. He had a rough time. He said he never forgot that. And he went on. He, and he went on to continue to work, but um, I he passed in 2016. Yes. 
1963. Um, and I didn't realize he's the guy in the Amazing Spider-Man movies who's like in the coat and the hat yep. kind of setting up behind the scenes the whole the, – that plot device that everybody right, hated. Right, right. <laughs> he's that guy. He's the dude. Um, yeah, he said that uh, – he said he never forgot that scene. There are nights that he has sleepless nights still thinking about – you know, even near the end of his life that he was still thinking about that time. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, I mean, you know what I mean, and not to mention you took a life, but not even your, like, and a, it was based on a yeah. mistake, but not even your right. mistake, you know, somebody else's mistake. That's gotta be. So and I, mean, it, 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 I can't imagine it. Uh, uh, the fact that he was able to still work at all, you know what I mean? I, I'm sure that took a, a mental toll on him and, uh, you know, I'm sure till the very end, it was something that was difficult to, for him to, to deal with. And, uh, uh, one other point about Michael Massey, it could have been Iggy Pop who killed Brandon Lee oh. because originally the role was offered to Iggy Pop, but he couldn't do it because I think of his tour schedule. And that's how Michael Massey got the job. I can see how Funboy has kind of an Iggy Pop. Well, but that's why Iggy Pop's him. in the second Crow movie, The Crow City of Angels, because he originally was supposed oh. to be in this one and then he wasn't. So I only saw that once. It's no, it's, it's horrible, but I only mention it. They never made a good no, Crow no. sequel ever. They made they tried like four they, times. Never, they even put fucking Edward Furlong. Oh, yeah. No, it was they were all bad except for this one. Um, but yeah, so he was supposed to be Iggy Pop originally, and then because he couldn't do it, they got Michael to do it instead. But literally, we could be we could be talking about Iggy Pop and how he killed Brandon Lee. That'd that would be nuts. But he's great. Um, so after this, Eric. Oh no, it, he's he's great in the movie. That's a, it's a shame. Obviously, it's a tragedy. But you know, Michael Massey can't take away from the no. Movie. It was really great. Um, so Eric goes finally like to see Albert. He shows up in his apartment, freaks him the fuck out. But it's, he wants to fill in the gaps of what happened. And this is where we get into a little more of like his kind of empathy abilities mm -hmm. of like not just he puts his hands on him to see what happened. But he can also feel. He can kind of like take in those emotions that yeah. not only you get the impression that he kind of has her pain in him too but also what um albrecht went through so it's uh and, and you know i like how but like i said before i really like how ill-defined the crow's powers right. are it kind of feeds into that magic element of it too they're kind of flowing you know it's like he is what he needs to be at whatever moment he needs right. to be it. Well, in, in this case, too, there's a really important moment in that he touches um, Ernie Hudson's face, uh, Albrecht's face, and he gets 30 hours of – Albrecht stay with Shelley for 30 hours. And it's important because for later in the film. He's basically he's like, oh, you stay with her for the whole time. Uh, but um, that's a key moment later on in the movie. So, And it's like I like how – even though Eric can see into his soul and like has felt these emotions, he still tries to do that like I'm a tough cop thing and play it off like, oh well, I thought you might wake up and give me some information. <laughs> right, like, exactly, dude. I was in your brain. <laughs> right, I, I'm I, good. Know. I got it all. <laughs> don't touch me. You don't have to play it tough anymore. And I that's another thing. He says, "Don't touch me," because uh, like he gets the information, then he's like dealing with it and reeling from it, and and Albert goes to hold him. He's like, "Don't touch me," because he knows that like, he probably gets more. Like when Albert puts his yeah. hand on, it, it's probably like you know. No, I've got enough. Style. I got enough. <laughs> and we also find out that this is the case. Basically, the fact that Albrecht wouldn't stop trying to chase down this case is how he got bumped yep. back down to beat cop. He's not a detective anymore. He's on yep. the beat. Marco Rodriguez uh, plays like, uh, the, his foil in that Torres. Um, yeah, his like former boss or whatever the guy. Yeah. Um, I like uh, the scene where Top Dollar kills Gideon. I like how he stabs him and then gets impatient and just shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> we just fucking die already. <laughs> <laughs> That's also that's a great stuff. Scene. Like again, just all the any little 
character development moment mm-hmm. they're all used so well like every little bit you get with any of these characters always informs you in some way she's like, your it sister you, you know i love yeah. it it's my <laughs> I let, and his response my father's daughter you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right fair yeah. enough man next up on the list is t-bird i love the way they subvert the hierarchy of the group you would assume he was working his way up to t-bird but no, he's just taking them as yep. they come, and Tiber's who he gets yep. next, and he's got a. And this is definitely our most elaborate and creative kill too. It's not, you know, a stabbing or a shooting. He like has he does, you know, he tapes Tiber into the car, and, right? And and, and he. Uh, this is one of my favorite moments in all of the Crow. Uh, it's a callback to a scene from the very beginning, and I'm gonna I'm gonna misquote it. I had it earlier, and I, I didn't write it down on my notes here. But uh, there's a scene at the very beginning when uh, T Bird is in the apartment killing. You know, he's get they're getting ready to do horrible things to Shelley and, and, and Eric. And he picks up a poetry book from John. Um, oh, help me out here. Oh, who sings it? Who says it? He, it's not. No, oh, dang it. I wrote it down earlier. And I forgot to look at it. Nah, you see, you should have. I know. I, I shouldn't <laughs> have gotten to this point me. until I was ready. I'm not a professional. Just because I host this show doesn't mean you I know. I but it's um, a bash the devil's uh, a bash the devil stood and felt how awful goodness is. And there's actually more to that line than just that. Um, but he quoted he reads it from the book and he's like, oh, does this make you wet? And then later in the in the car, right before he kills him, he's, he realizes who he is like, you can't be you. You know, you're dead. We killed you. Um, and then he realizes. I always think of that. This is the really real world. Yeah, I think this is the really the real time. world. Um, uh, uh, and speak. speak. I used to do that all the time. Like this, I would yeah. quote that all the time. Like, speak. Speak. <laughs> and then he, but he, then he <laughs> says, you know, oh, the bash the devil stood and, and felt how awful goodness is. Who felt how awful goodness is. And then he like rides them off and, you know, off the pier and kills them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, this is like the best use of a poem like ever in a movie. Like I'll never forget that moment because it's just how well the del- the line is delivered and how like powerful that moment is. And, and I will find out who wrote it while we're talking because it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> well, I was going to say also we get uh... – a, a great trailer moment here with the fire crow where he throws down the lighter on the ground and the get the crow and all i could think now was like yeah suck it dark knight Rises. right oh yeah, right. it's like well just so you know how we do this because like when you see the bat on the wall batman had to do this too and it's like you know he's literally painting on the floor and then you're like well how did you do the blood on the wall <laughs> you know because you had to paint the whole damn wall uh it's john milton uh i, milton. I can sleep okay. tonight and so can you <laughs> John Milton's poem. I uh I like cuz when um when the crow kills fun boy he Darla's there and he squeezes the morphine. He said they call it morphine, but I was always like, that's heroin, right? right. I mean, it seems like why are they mincing words? Just yeah, come on, just come out with it. I don't know if it's a censor thing or whatever, but what? But uh, I really like a sweet, the sweet and kind of sad scene where she's trying to kind of be a mom again to Sarah, and like I like that little interaction again. Great character moment for Sarah. Uh, great kind of resolution for the Darla character, and but just not not a wasted never feels like a wasted right. moment you know it's like a move where it, it it's a scene that all it's almost the only like well-lit scene in the whole yep. movie is like them in their kitchen everything's stuff, bright she's wearing think, white right it's well, it's a new day for darla you know so i like the way that's all kind of established it, in there. it also does one really important thing too at the end of the movie when the movie ends you can think to, back to that scene and go you know sarah's gonna be okay Right, exactly. He didn't leave her with nothing. He did better her life right. by coming back. Which he ensured she was protected by by helping his her mom, 
And, you know, that's important. Like, I'm going to be gone, but Sarah's going to be okay. Although, if you saw the next movie, she uh, wasn't okay. <laughs> well, of course not. Um, I liked to, like, after Sarah talks to Eric and Albrecht sees Eric, they have a moment where they sit down and they talk about it. And I like that idea that, like, there's no secrets. They have an established relationship. And, of course, this is something crazy. It's partly the thing that brought them together in the first place. So, like, they just talk about it. They have a conversation. And I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, there's no, like, oh, this is just a secret. I can't tell the right. police, the cop. I can't, you know, or... I, they just no. They know each other. They care about each other. They've been taking care of each other. <laughs> oh, and there's a great quote in here. Uh, speaking of T Bird's death, uh, by the cops when they go, "What in the crap?" Which <laughs> <laughs> during the yeah, chase, yeah, yeah. yeah, they do it twice. By the way, uh, they say it there, and then they say something. Somebody comes off a building and hits their car. Uh, uh, skank later on hits their car and they're, and you yeah. hear them go what in the crap and they cut to something else <laughs> <laughs> I uh yeah I was thinking during the car chase I was like this is a pretty decent car chase I don't know if I need it in this movie like it kind of feels almost a little out of right. place um but I'm fine with it it doesn't skank hurt makes the movie that. or anything it's skank fine. makes a lot of that <laughs> in his little in his little like Yugo yeah. or whatever he's yeah. driving he's like trying to break the you know trying to clean the broken glass well we're gonna get in because I think the third act of the movie uh you know skank has some really great moments so I'm glad it's like at first you're wondering why they bothered to save such a pathetic character for last oh. but then you get like they pay so that great. off too like they tell he's you he's got the why. greatest lines too but before we get into the third act, I did want to say I don't think enough comic book movie protagonists shred a guitar solo before yeah. the third act starts. <laughs> They're like, let's take a break and have Brandon Lee fucking shred right, a roof. Right. Do it, Smash buddy. His guitar. <laughs> Sound real cool. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty awesome. And that goes into that the song stuff. from My Life with the Throco Cult, which I also liked. Mm -hmm. Like the is a it's a great transition into this hard, heavy industrial song. Right, and they're, I love that they're having this meeting. It's like, Top Dollar knows there's a vigilante out there dropping his dudes, but he still gathers, like, all his top earners in one spot. Like, that's not a great idea, right. man. I don't think you're – I'm not sure you're the best guy. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and then they're all sitting there – well, I mean, they're strapped, and they figure that they can handle anything that's coming their way. But, yeah, it, it is kind of funny. It's like, here's everyone in the same room. Yeah. You know, so, you know, collateral damage. But then the crow, you know, Eric shows up and he again makes it clear. He's like, I don't want to kill everybody. I'm just here for skank. You just hand him over, man, and I'll be gone. I'll be out of your hair. I feel like, like a he's not here to take hook. down Top Dollar's whole organization or right. anything. <laughs> and and, and uh, I feel like a worm on a big fucking hook. <laughs> one of the greatest yeah, lines. that's a good but one. It, it, and then the whole, where's skank? Skank's right here. Yeah. Skank's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he did. No, that, I mean, okay. So let's talk about the nightclub scene real quick. So the nightclub scene is probably where the only – this is the only scene in the movie where I'm kind of like, eh, I love the action. And for the longest time, like all I could think about was the action. But the more I watch they it – They do overdo they, – they do – like I talked about it being – not using too much martial arts they do have him do a couple things in here that seem a little feel a little clunky well this know? is where this is where the john woo influences we have we talked about this before the show um uh, john woo is definitely an inspiration here a lot of times when the crow's flying by they do many shots that would be doves in a john woo movie but it's specifically in this scene, you definitely get eric like doing some flips during right. this gunfight jumping over and the he, table and he stuff. dual pistols it which is john woo's signature yeah. move right and you know there's there's a bird flying around while people are using two pistols but um one of the things you notice about this this scene in particular Eric Draven never reloads. 
Not once. He's got those two pistols, <laughs> and he. This is the only time. Like I can buy that a guy can come back from the dead. And, now, does he pick up some of the pistols no, from guys he, he drops? He picks up the too, first two guns no? he sees, and those are. And he's just running along a table. Boom, 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 boom. It just keeps going and going and going, and you never see him pick up another gun. And then, like eventually, he drops those and goes for like a sword and stuff like that. Well, that's what I'm saying. The only thing that matters in this scene is the top dollar sword right. case, like where he keeps right. all his swords. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> so they did get a little fast and loose with the gun play. But I also thought like the fight. I thought this was actually the weakest of all the fight moments. Uh, I think the intimacy of all of the very specific and individual moments he engages with each of the each of the individual dudes, uh, T Bird and and Funboy. That's actually. Yeah, this is just more of like a big, this flashy, gratuitous, kind of like, show-offy. You're you right, know, for right. sure. This is just our third, our big third act. You know, uh, blow it all up scene before we finish off with top. Bye, bye, Ling goes for uh, for the crow and misses him. Uh, but all of our main antagonists get away. But I love the way she's pegged the crow immediately. Like as soon as he walks in the right. room, she knows what's up. She's onto that right. crow. Like immediately. And, and she's again, she she solidifies the belief that this is normal in the world, which is why I loved her. Right, well, when it pays off how yep. her character has been through the the fact that she would know that and then is the one to tell them like, right. when they're escaping that. Uh, if this was choreographed slightly better, I'd love this scene more, but it is one of the best scenes in the movie. Uh, I just like, – it's it's probably the only time though in the movie where I felt that the movie fell away from what it was doing so well before and will do again here shortly uh, with the very – Right. Final. This was definitely more of a big cliche action yep. moment and it's just like kind of like a studio thing where we got to get a big fight in here. I get yeah, it. Yeah. You know, I, like you said, I wouldn't miss it but it doesn't hurt the movie for me or anything. It's nope. fine. And Skank know? being what he does in that scene keeps it going and Michael Wilcott. And, oh, right. Yeah. Skank's a lot of fun in yeah, that yeah. and then he gets the – and I like too like when that's done – Skank's dead, and Eric's ready to be yep. done. He goes and says his goodbyes to Sarah. He gives her Shelly's necklace. He doesn't care about Top Dollar. He's not trying to bring down Top Dollar's gang. That wasn't his whole thing. But he has made an enemy in Top Dollar mm -hmm. now, and uh, obviously he's going to they, – they kidnap Sarah. You know, She becomes a plot device, unfortunately. But I like the way – again, we talked about Mika. She knows to let the crow see them take. Like mm -hmm. She knows that will work. That's like a thing. Um, and oh, God, when they come to the – when he comes to get Sarah. In the church. In the church, and they shoot the bird. Michael Wincott has my favorite fucking line in the whole Go ahead, movie. Go do it. I, have a, I read it down too. <laughs> Quick impression. <laughs> call, call, bang, fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> so great. Like, it's so great. Any other movie, that line would be ridiculous and absurd. But it is so but perfect. They've established Top Dollar's character. That's what they do so well. They have made it you know that this is totally in character for him. So point. great. I love that line. It's so perfect. Also, during the shootout uh, with Ernie Hudson and Tony Todd, I found myself wishing there was a gangster movie with Ernie Hudson as a cop and Tony Todd as the head of like a, where they end up, where it's them in the final right. battle, where it's those two. You know what I mean? Like, where's my straight to DVD New Jack City <laughs> sequel where they like, put those guys in it because they thought they were cheaper but that i would like that one you'd more, have that in the bunker for sure i would i would have it for <laughs> sure big fan big fan right here 
Um, our bell tower final scene, very reminiscent of Batman 89, yeah. obviously, you know, you can't do this without shades of Batman, but I also thought the rooftop fight, uh, felt very beauty and the beast. So I was like, yeah. you know, I feel like there's, there's a very, like, uh, even though it's not, it's obviously much darker and much more grim. Uh, I love the way the crow, uh, gets the final revenge and pecks out mika's eyes also though it's a very poetic end for it pays off her like obsession with yep. eyes throughout the movie and like is like so it's a very, very simple of, like, circle that know, comes full tales from the crypty kind yep. of like get what you deserve ending for yep. her 100 percent. um so we have our final battle with top dollar and it's it's important to mention top. that top dollar here does mention that nothing would happen in this city without his uh orders uh, he tells he tells yeah. uh, Eric that uh, you know he is. It's it's important that Eric did get to kill him because he right. is the guy who gave the order, and so he is technically involved. So I like yeah, I like the way they they make that work. I also I was thinking about this. You know, Top Dollar didn't have a chance to go back to his sword case. So like the sword he has on him is that is like driving around right. sword. That's the one he keeps in the trunk right, of his car. Right. That's his going out. Yeah, it's sword. on his back like, the whole time, and he's just like just he just had that there. one with him just in case. Hey, don't leave home without one at least one. Sword. And, and don't they do that in Kill Bill too? Like she's on the plane, and there's like a spot for her sword next to her in the seat or something like that on the plane. Yeah. yeah, it's like has its own yeah, seat. It's, it's perfectly of. natural yeah. in this world that he's just got his sword on his back, and I actually like how um how Eric pulls the weather main, <laughs> which is very yeah. sword like, and he fights him with a weather main, which has that yeah, same yeah, like it's... absurdity, but uh, but also like practical for the fight. Yeah, no, I like that too. I thought that was real cool. Better than him, like, having kept one of Top Dollar Swords and brought right. it with him. You know what I mean? I like the kind of like, and that's. Eric Draven's whole thing as the crow throughout the movie, he's just there's very little like extra access planning going into a lot mm -hmm. of these, you know, fights. He's just yep. throwing himself in right. because he thinks he can. <laughs> and and, and, and um, the, it plays out per oh well go ahead, I'll let you drive the rest. No, no, I was just gonna say we're getting in here to the final yeah. and we talked about this is the return of those of the his empathy powers and that uh thirty hours of established pain we talked mm -hmm. about. And he's able to transfer it into top dollar. And I'm not a fan of like, kind of like of of impalement deaths, but I am a fan of this impalement death. You know, this is the first time, and I've I shit you not, I've probably seen this movie upwards of forty times. Right. <laughs> it's I've seen a lot. This is the first time I realized that he's impaled through the chest and the mouth when Top Dollar lands on yep. the gargoyle. It actually impales him in two spots, and I was like. That's but what's, what's, what really uh, attracts me to this to this death in particular is uh, just before that actually happens, they do a scene. They're fighting on the roof, and the camera pans by, and you see that gargoyle with uh, rainwater pouring out of its mouth. And then later he falls on it and gets impaled on it, and it's blood coming out of the mouth instead, which is yeah. – and it's very quick. and it's That's just a great yeah, shot. <laughs> but it was really cool how they kind of established that that gargoyle several times so that you get the sense that it's part of the environment. And then just – I love the, the imagery of like him being impaled and then the blood flowing through like rain in, uh, out of the gargoyle. It was really cool. Yeah. But the whole idea of the ending of like, you know, it's been all about I'm a badass, I'm unstoppable <laughs> – but when it comes right down to it, it's emotion that saves right. him. It's the pain of his death and his loss. And basically the thing that brought him back is what saves him and what lets him finish his quest. And so I think that's a great kind of, again, like this movie's 
almost underwritten. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Every there's a lot just kind of hiding just barely under the surface, but they're so like kind of you know the way they use they just don't waste any right. time they don't waste any dialogue they don't waste any you know it's just alex Proyas i did an amazing job on this and you know we'll have to come back and do a dark city episode oh, too dark because city. that's a proto matrix movie and it's incredible i love dark <laughs> i love dark city that is so weird and interesting and everything happening in that movie is just so fan, uh, fascinating in the tone um i love that movie dark city's great if you've never seen it and then the uh, the movie ends with Shelley comes to he's laying on his grave and she comes to him she kisses him and takes him away takes him back to the afterlife and he gets his and know, it's the only time the score breaks he gets his peace if you yeah, listen to exactly. this it can't rain all the you, time. well no but no if you hear the score throughout there's you know this very uh, this the score is very consistent all the way throughout but Shelley's theme for that few moments where she comes forward and kisses him the music actually shifts. And all the darkness comes out of the uh, out of the uh, tone of the music, and you just hear this like yeah. very uh, mercurial, beautiful sort of kissing moment, and then the, it comes to a wide shot from above and right back into the dark, you know, music. You know that it's over, and then they kind of cut yeah. to the graves both being filled again. There's like a little bit of voiceover from Sarah again mm-hmm. at the very end, but it's a kind of upbeat yeah, voiceover, yeah. you know, about love can bring you back. Yeah. Again, but. What a great um, movie. Was, I usually, like I said, I usually do character corner, but I'd only really written down uh, John Polito and Tony Todd. Was there anyone else we didn't talk about from the cast? Um, who else did we know? That's pretty much everybody uh, that we had. Uh, we didn't really talk about Mar- Marco R- Rodriguez. I've seen him in a bunch of other things, but uh... – he was a guy who was very familiar to me, and when I went back through his IMDb, it's one of those things where, like, oh, I just remember you from, like, TV right, I've shows. Seen... You're just in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah you're just in a lot of uh, stuff. I've never seen Skank in anything. Tintin. Uh, Lawrence Mason's been in other things, but I can't, like, think of anything off the top of my head. I was trying not to write down too much from IMDb if I could because I wanted to see if I would recognize people. But it's actually not a huge cast. There's not so many people in this movie no. that uh, you get tied down. I mean, they it's real tight. Real strong, you know, uh, good character actors doing their thing. Right. There's a couple of really good character actors. I like the guy who runs the hot dog stand. Mm-hmm. They have a little scene with him. I like Mickey. The, That's Bill uh, yeah, and I and I like the um, the creepy. Not he's not necessarily creepy. The bartender guy where at the club good where night, Darla works. Darla. I just, <laughs> good night, Darla. <laughs> he's got a real Brad Dourif thing in his voice there in that line read. But, but there's an interesting thing about that too because uh, you know he says to uh, Sarah that one line he's just like you know there's nothing I can do kiddo you know it's just the way it is sort of thing where he he's very sympathetic to her and so you know that he cares but the, you can also see that this has been happening to Sarah for a really long time and it's just right, very right. simple very few lines that guy actually has but he really sets the tone for the movie for them uh, for those characters so I mean everybody did a great job someone else bought me dinner <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then they make fun of her. <laughs> so uh, usually, you know, we rate the movie on my incredibly not confusing, easy to understand scale of goodbye versus goodbye. Um, but obviously, there's no question here. First of all, I bought this DVD. The receipt was still in it. Wow! I bought it on july 30th 2004 wow. and i paid ten dollars i'm surprised you waited which so is long a steal. It, though like i'm surprised <laughs> it was 2004 um, well i had my vhs i had my vhs for a long time i still kept it because it has those interviews oh that's on. true even though you can find them on youtube i kept my vhs because i was like those interviews are are a precious commodity as far as I'm i concerned. will say that i only recently re-bought it on uh dvd and then i i i uh 
Apple uh, iTunes digital. It's just so I can watch it again, like easily. Um, but, uh, yeah. I own the, I own the VHS probably soon after this came out. So 1994, 1995. Um, oh yeah. I had the VHS for a long time. Oh yeah. It was, it was one of those things, you know, CD cassettes. It took me a long time to adopt CDs. <laughs> did the same thing for VHS and uh, DVD. But I was thinking at ten dollars in two thousand four, that's a steal. I would that's that's a good deal now. So See, that's know, a reasonable price ago. for a good movie. You know, right. it's worth ten bucks. If you see it for ten bucks, you should definitely buy it. You know, I would buy this movie for ten. I did. <laughs> I've rebought it for ten bucks on digital. So yeah, buy it. It's great. Uh, it's a good buy. So. Yeah, so exactly. Since it's hands down a good buy, I did want to do one little mm-hmm. thing. This is another thing where I like to spring things on Ooh, I people. I love springs. Uh, <laughs> we all know that the remake of The Crow is never going to happen. They always talk about it. I don't want it, but they keep talking about it. What? Let's let's just real quick do a quick director and star. Ooh. I'll give you a couple minutes to think about Wait. it. Because I have mine already. Printed. All right, go ahead. So that this way I, I spring it on you, but then I'll give you a break. Let me think about it. Okay, go ahead. So for director, I thought Alex Garland. I'm going from one Alex to another. Okay. Uh, you know, Ex Machina, Annihilation. He was also a great writer uh, before that. He hasn't done, like, directed. He wrote some action stuff, but he hasn't directed a big action movie yet. I think it would be interesting to see him do that but also he could bring a lot of depth and thoughtfulness to the crow which is kind of like ingrained and built into that character if you've seen ex machina if you've seen annihilation these are studies in what it means to be human in some way or another you know what i mean or what it means to like experience the human condition so i think he could bring some of that um and as far as for stars i just thought uh maybe uh dev patel from lion Oh, okay. Good. He was also in Chappie. Um, and then for my kind of like uh, lesser known guy, he just popped up. He was in Lady Bird. Uh, Jason, or I'm sorry, Jordan Rodriguez. He played Lady Bird's brother. Okay. But he's a good actor, and I think he just has the right look. And you know what I mean? It's, I, I Much like this could have been a breakout, I wouldn't mind if they were going to do a remake casting an unknown and letting it maybe be a breakout for them like quit trying to put a star right. in it and just make a good movie you know that's my thing all right uh so are you doing a direct remake is this um, the, like you're I doing mean, this I movie think... again or are you just doing another crow uh, I mean, I feel like you could do like a soft reboot where you change the name of the characters, but you kind of do the crow again. Okay. You know what I mean? Kind of like in that way that is popular now. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, then here's what I got. I would go with Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. I don't know how the hell to pronounce his mm-hmm. last name. No, no. Denis yeah. Villeneuve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he did Blade Runner uh, 2049, which was absolutely my favorite movie of last year. Favorite movie of 2017. Yeah, for sure. Um, and – He's got the atmospheric chops and his crew. Like, it's not just him, right? Like, you need his director of photography and all those people. But yeah, he definitely knows how to build tension, boy. Who, right? Man, does and, that guy know how to build tension? And pacing. Sicario's a. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of Sicario personally, although I see technically why it's a good movie. It's just not. It, mm-hmm. The story doesn't appeal to me as much. But. It was one that really surprised me. Like, it's one that. When I watched it the first time, I was like, this is fine, but it stuck with me and it made me want to go back and watch it right. again, right. you know? So. Um, I, I think atmospherically speaking, like he would set the, he would get the correct tone uh, in my head as I'm picturing it. I'm thinking of in uh, 2049, those scenes when they go out to find Harrison Ford and they're way out in like the red zone 
uh, you know, and, and then just that yeah. very everything's red hued and dusty and, and it just has that style of old and left behind. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see him bring his visual yeah. style to this. I mean, hell, let him direct it in black and white like the comic. I would watch oh, for sure. of that. It needs to, <laughs> so this is a movie like if you take examples from this movie uh, that we already have, it's you have to you have to encapsulate that style. So I think he's got the chops for the style. And then for my crow, I would pick Adam Driver. I think he has. That's funny. He was on my list. I was absolutely thinking of Adam. Yeah, I picked this off the top of my head, of course. So uh, I was just like, who has this sort of a look and can kind of do it? And I'm like, oh, you know, I like Adam Driver actually. Does, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, of course, of, of, of the Star Wars character um, whose name escaped me, uh, Kylo Ren. Kylo. Kylo. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, too, like sort of that Kylo Ren-y broodiness of him. But also, like, yeah. you've seen him in a lot of good comedies. He was in that um, the uh, Logan Lucky. Uh, and, yeah, which is yeah, good. and he has a very understated comedic chop in that, which I kind of like. Um, and I think this is a movie that has sort of goofiness in it, and it would be kind of cool to see Adam Driver smile and be goofy. And and I, but I also think he has a very good physical presence. He's definitely in shape after uh, the yeah, Last Jedi, absolutely. so you know that physically. That's like I, I think he's a good foil to somebody like casting somebody like Momoa is too big yeah. to play the crow. I want to see somebody more live. I almost thought. If you were casting this in 2004, like an Adrian Brody would have been, you know, Adrian Brody, and yeah, Brody, that's a really you know, good would have been about right for uh, this. Yeah, I like um, Adrian Brody for that. Um, Brody, um, I'm trying to think of like who else. I'd almost cast a little younger than him now, though. You know oh, what I right. Mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd have to, you'd want to like maybe five years younger. Um, yeah. And then like who would you know you a child actress uh, to play the girl? Yeah. You know, get an unknown. Yeah, I'm not somebody I new. I mean, I didn't know Rochelle <laughs> Davis was so. Somebody who feels natural. That's all that matters. Um, you know, the cop. There's so many good top, cop types. I'd say those two, though, are the are the who. Those are my star and director. No, no, that's good. That's real good. I like that a lot, actually. All right. Well, I think we finally gushed enough about this think, movie. What do you think? I think Jack? we did. Uh, there's. Do you have anything we yeah, missed? You know, if we have just a few moments, I, I wanted to talk about um, Heath Ledger for a moment because. Oh sure. Heath absolutely. Ledger, uh, as we know. Uh, he committed suicide after the making of the film. So it's not like he was murdered in filming it, but I think it's important to kind of notice the similarities between the two. And are we saying that suicide or was that more of an accidental suicide? Uh, I don't know. I, I suicide. So, I mean, even if you didn't mean to do it, <laughs> did definitely kill himself. He may or may not. Right. 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 Okay, but uh, but just sort of the same, like uh, a movie was coming out where the, the star had passed away and, it added to something in the film. I think that's sort of like, and it's a comic book movie and these are both comic book movies. So um, for me, like, I think it's interesting that I was not a fan of the Nolan Batmans, uh, but I love the dark Knight, but not because of Batman. I love the dark Knight because of Heath Ledger's Joker. And I was, it's just a good solid crime thriller. Like I always maintain that that's just a movie you could take. If you just replace Batman and the Joker with a cop and a crazy killer, you just still have a very solid crime movie for uh, sure. Which is what keeps it from being the best Batman movie. Right. And it's It's just not quite Batman. It's it's more a Joker movie than it is a Batman movie uh, to me. But I, I was going to see it anyway because of Batman, but there is a level of, there is a level of this aura to it, uh, especially the very last scene with the Joker, right? He's hanging from the building upside down. He's like, you need me. I'm your, you know, I'm the counterbalance to who you are, essentially, is what he's saying. And in that, mo- he's like, you'll always, you'll always need me. You know, I'll always be there to be this, this thing for you. And when he says a line like that and you're like, you're gone, dude, <laughs> you know, like you're not right. here anymore. Yeah. And it's sort of the same magic that I feel when I watch The Crow. 
you are literally watching a movie where the main character died from the bullet that killed the main character <laughs> and yeah. you're watching him come back and avenge himself and and talk about you know coming back to life like the it's right well and in the and in the and in the idea of the film he's avenging himself by being in an amazing movie uh, and giving a great performance even though he's not here to enjoy it so it's like he's getting just like the character is getting what he deserves in his vengeance in a way, Brandon Lee gets what he deserves by making a movie that holds up and has this great cult following and has lasted, you know, in spite of all that has come after. And know? both actors had this great career ahead of them that we'll never get to see and that we wish we yeah. could see. And I, I and I, I, you know, when I when I heard about Heath Ledger's death, I mean, I was going to see the movie anyway, but I knew that, like, this is the first thing I thought of was The Crow. When when Heath Ledger was gone, I'm like, I'm about to watch a movie and it's going to have the same feelings for me. I'm watching the dude's final performance. He's not here anymore. The whole movie, he's not here. He's not at the premiere. He's gone. And it just has that extra weight. And I'm not saying that The Crow only holds up because of Brandon Lee's death, but his death empowers that movie and makes it more than it normally would be without it. And it makes it better. Well, it's it, it's like a hollow. I mean, it kind of made the movie a Hollywood yeah. legend, even you know before it came out. And it's but I think the quality of the movie mm -hmm. is what kept it around. Like it, it's not just remembered as the movie that Brandon Lee died on. It's still remembered as a pretty damn yeah, movie, too. exactly. And I and I think it deserves that. I think it totally earned yep, that. I do too. Uh, well, hey man, thank you for coming on and indulging me. And giving and making oh, an excuse it. to talk about the crow. Um, why don't you go ahead and give us a plug and let us know oh, people know where that's uh, Thank you. you. Uh, if you would like to talk to me on Twitter, uh, I'm at JRS Pipboy, P I P B O Y 2008. What's a Pip Boy? Uh, a Pip Boy is a Fallout reference, a video game called Fallout. Oh, Pip Boy are the little okay, computers gotcha. that are on their arms. So. Um, yeah. I'm a huge uh, Fallout nerd, so uh, JRS Pipboy 2008 on Twitter, and then um, I do run a like movie debate show on the internet called um, Fan Friction. Uh, yeah, some guy was on it once, and he was the champion and everything, and um, he's really cool. Was, was but he will be again. Movie. That's right. He's he's flexing. <laughs> you can't see it and be glad. Um, <laughs> uh, but I run a show called Fan Friction. It's on the Tough Channel. That's T U F F. Uh, it's like a fun movie debate show where we just ask goofy questions and fight for points that give us titles and stuff, but they don't. It is a lot of fun, but it's passionate. It's very passionate fun. <laughs> and we do it once a month, uh, so feel free to check that out. It's really cool. I can only handle it once you know, a month. It's so. just, I used to be able to do it every week, and then it was every other week, and now it's definitely once a month. Like Life is just too damn good. <laughs> right. Hey, you got to live your life, <laughs> For <man>. sure. <laughs> uh, so if you like uh, movie debates and stuff like that, come and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you can always find me on Twitter at Herskules. If you want to talk about The Crow, if you want to talk about any other movies we've talked about, just hashtag DVD Bunker. Hit me up. Uh, and, uh, you know, thanks again, Jack. So, like I said earlier, without me. Tough and, uh, you know, fan friction, I probably maybe never would have gotten around to doing The Bunker. So, in a way, you've got, you're the godfather of the DVD Bunker, too. So, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. Uh, and, please uh, have me back. I want to talk more movies. This is so much fun. So fun. Yeah, yeah. I just I can do this. Yeah, this is great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.